Let's pick it up where we left off. We looked at the last section in chapter 4, and we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and we'll be there for some time. But the, uh, the study we looked at before, to give us a little bit of context, is the threefold ministry of Jesus. Anybody remember the threefold ministry of Jesus without looking at it? What, the three, threefold ministry of Jesus are what? Teaching, teaching. teaching, preaching, and healing. And that's what he went, went about and did, and he continued to do that. And, and you know what? He's still doing that today, I believe. Teaching, he's teaching us, he's preaching, and he's healing. I believe he's doing those things for us today, and he wants to continue. I think we need all three of those, don't we? We don't need just teaching where we, you know, it's just instruction and learning, and, and that's good, doctrine, explanation, and we need that. We need that foundation. That's the, kind of like the foundational thing that keeps us, when the, when the, when the weird stuff comes blowing through the church, if we have a good, strong foundation scripturally, then that's going to keep us from getting blown off course. We need that. But we also need this preaching where it's like a proclamation, this challenge, this call to commitment, this, you know, where it kind of, you get kind of like pushed a little bit. And some places where you go, that's all you do. You get pushed and pushed and pushed, but there's no, nothing to build on, you see. We need all of them. And then healing, you know, we're sick. Let's be honest. Not just allergies. We're sick. And God brings this wholeness, and He can bring this healing of all different kinds, you know, body, soul, and spirit. And we need to be healed, and, and the Word of God says to pray and ask God. And, and again, I want to remind you that after the service, we're always here to pray for you if you need some kind of prayer for some kind of healing, or, or you're, just, you're just discouraged and you, you need some prayer to go ahead. Someone said the Sunday morning congregation is a hospital, and I, and I think that's true. Of course, we also keep in mind that the ultimate healing is resurrection in heaven. Even if you got healed today of some life-threatening disease, guess what? Something else is going to come along and you're going to eventually, this body is just going to give out, give up, right? So, but, but God does un heal, heal us and he does, you know, listen to our prayers and sometimes he says no, um, but sometimes he says yes, but we don't know. Uh, James says you have not because you ask not many times. I just know that God answers prayer, and he may not answer it always the way that we want him to. Chapter 5 now begins this Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, probably one of the most important, uh, most famous passages in all of the world, not just the Bible, but in all of the world. There have been more books written about it, and then books written about the books that have been written about the Sermon on the Mount. Someone said that if you took all the good advice on how to live, that was ever uttered by any philosopher or counselor or psychiatrist, and you took out all the foolishness and boiled it all down to the essentials of what they're saying, said you'd be left with a poor imitation of this great message by Jesus. Where, where are you, you going to go to find how to live? We've got to go to Jesus first. Yeah, not to say that, you know, all those other people aren't important in there, but, but you know, we, we, we need to build our lives uh, on, on the Word of Jesus Christ, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, kind of the, some people call it the Magna Carta of the Kingdom, the, 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 the Constitution. It kind of boils it all down and puts it all together for us, and, and it's a very, very high call. And as we look at these chapters 
we're going to see that it's a very high call, but, but God is calling us to live for Him. And it is a high call, but we can't do it without His strength to do it. So keep that in mind even as we go through the, the first part of the Beatitudes. It was taught over on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, the little hillside there. They call it, he went up on the mount there. And, and uh, <clears throat> we don't really know if it was taught in one sitting or not. You can actually read through these three chapters and it take you, if you just read them out loud, it'd probably take you about, what, 10 or 15 minutes, something like that. We don't know. It doesn't really say. But does it matter? The fact is, this is what he taught. And this is how it's been put together for us. And we look at it and we want everything that he has for us. At the end of this Sermon on the Mount now, it ends with this short parable about, about practicing what has just been taught. Building the foundation. Look, look back there at the end of chapter 7 real quick, if you would. You see, he talks about the, the wise and the foolish builders in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So keep that in mind. He says, you know, we can hear these words, but unless we put them into practice, it's not going to do us any good. But if we do put them into practice, we've got a foundation to build on. Foundation, a good foundation. Look at, let's, let's go ahead and start reading here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples, they came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, he began to teach them, saying, this is the beginning of the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. But it says that he saw the crowds. And in another place in Matthew, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. He cared about them. It says because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, I think he sees the same thing today when he looks at us and sees that we're harassed. We're harassed on every side. We're helpless to make it on our own. And we're like sheep without a shepherd, but he's come to be that shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. So what did he do? He, it says that he saw the crowds. What did he do? He sat down and he began to teach them. He began to teach them. It was customary for the Jewish rabbis to sit down when they, when they taught. And his disciples, they would come to him. And, you know, this word disciple, let me just clarify that for a second. This word disciple, it really means follower or learner. Follower or learner. So if we're going to be disciples, it means we, we learn things. We learn things. But to learn things, we need to be teachable. And so many times, uh, we are very stubborn, aren't we? And we just don't want to be taught. We don't want to learn anything. And that's what the Word of God talks about, you know, the, the hard uh, hardness of heart in the, the, the people of Israel where they, you know, they, they had stiff necks. They weren't willing to listen and learn. But we need to learn. So he begins here with the Beatitudes. And, and you know, a lot of people have talked about the Beatitudes. And again, probably some of the most familiar words ever written, the Beatitudes. But you can break that word up in, in, into the Beatitudes. 
Okay, let's think about that. The be attitudes. There's some attitudes here that, that uh, you and I can latch on to. And I think that word is kind of a, a buzzword, isn't it? Oh, you got attitude. You got an attitude. How many of you, you know, have said that to someone? And it didn't go over real well, did it? <laughs> Only one person raised their hand. <laughs> and she said it to me. No. You got attitude. But attitude is important. It's not just a bad word, you know, when somebody's got an attitude. It's good to have a good attitude. And these are the good attitudes, the attitudes that we should be having. And so he begins in these Beatitudes. And, and I think a summary, really, of these, these eight different uh, Beatitudes really is, is this. And I think the, the Bible has different math. The Bible has different math than what our math is. And the... The, the summary, really, of all of this is that the way up is down. The way up is down. It's, it's not the way the world adds things up, the way the world sees things. The way up is ladder, go, fight, push, step on people on your way up. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. The way up is down. It's different from the world's attitude. Verse 3, the first one said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first one he talks about, and, I, and let's define this word blessed because you know, a lot of people talk about it, and, and really what it, it you know, in a, a quick definition is the word happy. But it's really not the same happy that we kind of think happy. Happy birthday, you know, happy anniversary, happy something. It's deeper than that. There's a deeper happiness that Jesus is talking about here. Someone defined it like this, ultimate well-being and distinctive spiritual joy. There's this happiness, this true happiness that he's talking about here. And so we, we ask the question, what makes you happy? What will truly make you happy in the deepest part of your heart? So he gives us these how to be happy in eight easy steps, right? That's kind of how it happens. But then you look at the first one and you go, well, that doesn't look easy. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus, someone said this, Jesus began, began his, his uh, discourse or the Sermon on the Mount by answering one of the universal questions of mankind, how to be happy. Through the ages, men have wanted inner peace and joy. They have gone into many blind alleys of failure in their search. And most of the sins and many of the sorrows of life have come from the wrong way of pursuing happiness. All the different ways we try to get happy, be happy. Christ has the secret, he says. Yet so few people take his plan seriously. And Satan comes along and tells young people that, who are contemplating accepting Jesus that, that to do so will rob them of happiness. And people seek happiness from without by getting things, by going places, accumulating wealth, gaining fame, enjoying popularity, having thrills. But happiness must always work from the heart. It cannot depend on outward circumstances these beatitudes give the secret of inner spiritual happiness that is superior to circumstances. Superior to circumstances. So often our happiness is dependent on all the things around us, whether we, 
you know, we, things went well for us in our circumstances. But he's saying there's something deeper than that. The first thing he starts off, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's something deeper. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you, and you look at that and you go, wow, what? How will that make me happy to be poor in spirit? And yet, this is the place he starts. This is the place he starts realizing what we have, but actually, more correctly, realizing what we don't have is the first step, the first key, the first rung on this, this path to happiness. Someone said this, the poor in spirit recognize that they have no spiritual assets and they know they are spiritually bankrupt. This is the first point of contact between the soul and God. This is where we got to start off. This is where Jesus starts off. Where we're poor in spirit, we have nothing. We got nothing to bring. Uh, there's an old hymn that says, you know, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. What do we have? Ultimately, what do you and I have? If we think we have something, it stops right there. When we get to the place where we realize that we have nothing to bring, and it all depends on Him, that's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. That's where He begins here. Someone said this, uh, Barclay, uh, a commentator, said this, that the one who has no resources, whatever, he puts his whole trust in God. He puts his whole trust in God when he realizes he doesn't have anything to bring. He doesn't have anything to offer to God. Well, God, I, I bring to you all this good stuff that I have. And God says, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. David in the Psalms, he said, you know, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In Isaiah, it says, this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, he says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. The one who realizes that I'm empty, I'm bankrupt apart from the almighty God. Another place of Isaiah, the Lord says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. That's the one. Turn with me, please, to, to Luke chapter 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 18. And he gives, Jesus gives such a clear example of, <clears throat> of the contrast in verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It says, To some... Who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself God, I, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus went on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The way up 
is down. This tax collector was poor in spirit. He said, what do I have to offer? He couldn't even look up. But Jesus said, this is the guy. This is the guy that made it. This is the guy who entered the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, the road to happiness, true happiness, he says, is the road of the poor in spirit, those that are bankrupt, those that realize they have nothing until they receive from the almighty God, the kingdom of heaven. For theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king, where heaven rules. See what I mean about different kind of math? Different kind of, different kind of twist than what the world is telling us. Looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. The second of the Beatitudes and the good attitude to have, Jesus said, in addition to being poor in spirit, it's kind of similar, in, 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 uh, but kind of in the same vein, but a little different. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. comforted. Again, the way to happiness is sorrowed, is grieving. Like, how does that add up? How does that happen? How does that work? No, the way to happiness is in this world is to, you know, find things that will make you happy. You know, go here, go there, take this, take that, do this, do that. But he says here to grieve, to sorrow. And what is he talking about? Turn with me to uh, James all the way near the end of the New Testament, uh, just before the book of 1 Peter, James Peter John, Jude, Revelation. Uh, <clears throat> again, <clears throat> James chapter 4. Let's see what the, the verses I, I quoted to you already. The verses, a verse out of uh, James, the, he said about humbling ourselves. But let's look at the verses just before that. James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, come near to God. And he will come near to you. It's a promise. But look what he says. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You go, wow. This is not sounding like a happy sermon, pastor. This is sounding like a down bummer. But he says, this is the way. This is the way up. Is to, to grieve and to mourn before the Almighty God and say, God, I got it wrong. To grieve and mourn and to wail, he says. To grieve and mourn and wail for our sins. I don't know that we understand that very well. Oh, I sinned. Okay, sorry. Kind of like that is the attitude that we have. We don't understand the, the character of the Almighty God. We don't understand His holiness. When we, when we go our own way and, and when we're convicted and, and repentance is, is turning back to him, but there's a sense that Jesus is saying the way, the way up, the way to be happy, the way to find that true joy within your heart, he says, is to mourn and grieve. He says, those are the ones who will be comforted. Those are the ones who will find the comfort from the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones who will find the joy that, that only God can give. One commentator says it's the bliss of the broken heart that drives us to God. The God of comfort, the God of compassion, 
He says, when sorrow comes, a man is driven to the deep things of life. And if he accepts it aright, a new strength and beauty enters into his soul. Say, wow, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to hear any more about this. You know, the world is telling us that, that you should not be unhappy about anything. It's actually wrong to be unhappy. You should always be happy. And if you're not always happy, we'll give you something to make you always happy. But, but Jesus is saying something different. There are times when we need, we need to be unhappy and we need to mourn. And you go, wow, I don't... I don't know about that. Well, I didn't write this. That's what he said, right? Did you read it there too? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a time and a place for you and I to fall on our faces before God and say, God, forgive me. I, 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 I am so far out from where you want me to be. He said, those are the ones who will be comforted. Not the guy who walks up and says, God, no big deal. You know, I kind, of, I kind of took the wrong turn, but I'm back now, and I, I know you're glad I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, he is glad that we're back. That's true. But with the wrong kind of attitude. It's an attitude. That's an attitude that he needs to talk to you and I about. Like, you got an attitude, and you need to get it straight. I'm God. You're not. He says, those... They should be comforted by the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, by the Scriptures, by, the, by other believers. I like that quote, When sorrow comes, a man is driven to the deep things of life. And if he accepts it aright, a new strength and beauty enter into his soul. It's not always bad to be down, to be, you know, <clears throat> bummed out, you know? Because maybe God is, is trying to teach us something. I read a book recently. It's called Ten Fingers for God. And it's about a, a physician who was a missionary to Africa. And um, when he went, uh, what God called him to deal with was leprosy. And the big problem with leprosy is, is you know, they would end up, uh, you know, it would affect their limbs, especially their fingers and their toes and their feet. And they would lose these limbs, Right. Well, it came, he came to discover it wasn't the leprosy that was causing them to lose the fingers and the feet and the toes. It was the fact that leprosy was causing there to be no pain, you see. And so because there was no pain, they were doing all kinds of things, and they were all barefoot anyways, and they were doing all kinds of things that would eventually damage those um, extremities and, and, and eventually they would you know be damaged beyond you know repair and so they would end up losing them and having to be amputated and, and different times and their fingers would get shortened because they were hitting them and they didn't have any pain you see so what his point was and that was that sometimes pain is a good thing because we're we're, we're maybe going in the wrong direction and we, we need to realize hey something's not right here we need to get something right Pain is not always such a bad thing. I remember um, when my, my oldest son was in a, in a, a school, and uh, he, was, he was in kindergarten, and it was like Thanksgiving, and, and <clears throat> they had an open house day, you know, where you go, and the kids dressed up either like Indians or like uh, pilgrims. 
you know, so they're all dressed up, and I thought, okay, that's cool, and they had, you know, some things to eat in there, and um, that's fine, and, and I got there, and then um, at the end of it, they said, we're going to show a movie now, and, and I said, okay, so they show this movie, and it was about this town where this kind of witch-like lady, um, she went around, and she had like a wand or whatever, and she would like hit people, and it would make everybody happy. And so she, and, and I think she might have had some kind of soup, too, that they would eat, and everybody would be happy. And I'm going like, what is this? <laughs> Witchcraft and, and all this stuff, and, and besides the fact it's not even true. And um, I, I was kind of, I was appalled, really. But this is in kindergarten they were starting to be, and this is, you know, how many years ago? I remember hearing about a town, there was a town, I think, um, in Oregon somewhere where there was a doctor who, who wanted to prescribe some medicines to so many people and it became to be known as the happy town because everybody or, you know, so many people were on these prescriptions. You know, what do we, we, we you know, I think somehow we might be missing some of the truth of, 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 of the pain of this life and, and how God can use it to get right with him. In this world, Jesus said, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We, we, we find our, our hope and help in him. Let's go to the next one. Uh, I'm only going to do four today, four out of the eight, and then we have communion. Blessed, number five, verse five, um, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth Blessed are the meek. And, he, and again, this idea of the way to happiness is, is by being meek. Well, first of all, he's not talking about spinelessness or subservience. This word, one of the meanings of this word was for one who had learned to accept control. Like a horse who had been trained to answer to the reins. This is really kind of the, the understanding so he says, blessed are the meek, and, and, and not just you go around meek. Jesus said he was meek, right? The Bible says that Moses was meek, and Moses, you know, didn't walk around, you know, uh, afraid of everybody and everything. So that little diff, different understanding of this word meek, meek one who has, who has been uh, willing to obey, willing to listen, willing to accept God's way. That's the meek. That's the meekness that, that he's talking about there. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, you know, he says that he was meek. But we also see in, 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 his, in his words where he said, not my will, but yours be done. That's a, that's a description, that's an example of meekness where we're willing to say, God, I want to let you have the control. That's meekness, where we surrender to uh, somebody greater than ourselves. He says, for they will inherit the earth. The way up is down. Where we surrender is where we receive. Is that the way the world says to inherit, to get? No. Again, it's push, fight, do whatever you got to do. <clears throat> Climbing up the ladder of success, stepping on heads every way, every step of the way. He says, listen, you, you want to inherit, you want, you want to find happiness, you want to find the way. He says, be willing to listen and to obey, to put your strength under my control. That's where we find the inheritance. Verse 6, 
The last one we'll finish with, he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This one has been kind of hitting me all uh, the days that I've been studying this passage. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's this desire, this, this, uh, this hunger within for more of God. Uh, Barclay called it the bliss of the starving spirit. Those that long for total righteousness as a, lo- as a starving man longs for food and a man perishing of thirst longs for water. There's something about this. We're deep within, we're crying out, God, I want more of you. I want to do things your way. I want want you to be in my life. There's an openness there. There's a a heart that's open to God. Psalm 42, uh, we we sing this song, we have in the past anyways, where uh, it says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God, my soul thirsts. For God, for the living God, where can I go and meet with God? And David said it as well. He said, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 63. Psalm 42, Psalm 63, two different writers said, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. This hungering and thirsting for righteousness to be right with God. God, I, I want to be right with you. I want to be right with people. I want to do the right thing, which is the definition of righteousness, to be right with God, to be right with others, to do the right thing. He says, I want to do. I want to be right. He says, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is that's the one that's going to be filled. Someone said this, we see Christians hungering for many things, power, authority, success, comfort, and happiness, but how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? Wow, that hurts. Christians, he says. How many of us are are really hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are we just like the rest of the world around us? You know, they talked about uh, the divorce rates that in the Christian, in the church, that they're, they're pretty much the same as those out in the, in the world. We're just, we're just compromising with everything around us. He says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones that are going to be filled. That's where we're going to find happiness. Not looking for power, authority, success, comfort, and other kinds of things. Look at Matthew chapter 7. We'll wrap this up. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Very familiar verses. But it's a promise. These are promises those to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds, and to him who, all, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. 
desire that, that righteousness, hunger and thirst for it, he says, that's the one who's going to be filled. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. In verse 1, Isaiah 55, about the middle of your Bibles there. Isaiah 55. He says in verse 1, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, bankrupt, poor in spirit, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. He says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. That really kind of sums it up, doesn't it? He says, come to me, come to me, he says. You don't have to pay for it. I know you don't got anything. Come to me, he says, and I'll give you the richest of fare. That's the real happiness in these be attitudes, these be happies, the, the way to be happy, the attitude, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek before God, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, these, he says, have the kingdom of heaven, the comfort of God. These will inherit the earth. These will be filled. These, he says, will know true happiness. Simple words, but my prayer and my challenge to you this morning is is that you and I would take these words and think about them. Let them kind of get into us. Simple words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we think about these words of Jesus. Challenging words. We don't know what to think about them. We don't know how to, to cope with them. We don't even know how to like, put them into practice. So Lord, first, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand as you teach us that we would understand what you mean, what you're trying to say. And then you would help us to apply it to ourselves. Lord, maybe, maybe we're looking for that happiness in all the wrong places. Maybe we're wandering. And we've left behind the simplicity of following after Jesus and, and just surrendering at the foot of the cross. Lord, remind us of who you are and what you have done for us, the great and mighty works of our great and awesome God, and that humbly we come and cling to the cross. We have nothing to offer, but yet you loved us by your, by your great grace and by your great mercy, your incredible love you gave to us of yourself. Lord, we come and we, 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 we pray that you would use pain in our lives to bring us to, to the right path. We pray that we would be um, submitted to your control, 
and that we would know that such a deep hunger and thirst for the things that are right and true and good. God, work in us, I pray, Lord. Even as we take time now to, co- to contemplate, to think of the cross, Lord, we pray as we take a few moments just to quiet our hearts before you, to, to humbly say, God, I humble myself before you, knowing that, that this is the way up. This is the way to joy and happiness. Let's just take a few moments before we, before we come to the, the bread and the cup, take a few moments of quietness of your hearts to call out. Father, we thank you that you desire to give us the richest affair. We come, we have no money, yet you say, come, buy and eat. We come to the cross, we have no money, we have nothing that we could give there. You say, come, partake. Come and eat. Come and participate in the cup and the bread. Gracious Father, meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.